The Moments That Make Us podcast is produced on Gadigal land, as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and future, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Welcome to The Moments That Make Us, a brand new Women's Agenda podcast that explores those fork-in-the-road moments that change our lives. We'll be delving into the life-altering moments of some of Australia's most prominent women and hearing about the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm Shivani Gopal, the host of Moments That Make Us, a podcast series made possible thanks to the support of Stellar Insurance. In today's episode, we have the privilege of hearing from the woman behind Stellar Insurance herself, Sam White. Sam's story, as is her business story, is a deeply personal one. Like many ultra-successful entrepreneurs, she used her early experiences with trauma and an uneasy upbringing to fuel her why in life. The result? At the young age of 24, Sam decided to shift gears by starting her own insurance company, as you do. 20 years later, she's the founder and CEO of five very successful businesses, including Stella, taking big strides to rewrite the rules in what is traditionally considered a male-dominated industry. Learn how she went from washing cars for cash to eventually employing over 200 people with over $35 million in revenue. We'll talk about all of that, the highs and the lows, and so much more in today's episode. Sam White, CEO of Stellar Insurance, thank you for coming on our podcast, Moments That Make Us, of course, brought to you by Stellar Insurance. It's great to have you here on so many fronts because we have so many areas to unpack together. And Sam, you've got such an interesting backstory. You've used your uneasy start in life to fuel your why in business. And those early life experiences saw you start your first business at the young age of 24. And it struck me that while most of us were getting on our Kentucky tours, you had started your first insurance claims business. And that journey eventually led you to founding Stellar Insurance here in Oz. So let's start with who you were before you ever entered the business space, because of course, we are going to chat a lot about the business space. So let's take a step back. You didn't exactly have an easy life. In fact, I want to read out a quote of yours that I read in an article in the Mirror. Because of my childhood was so unstable, I always wanted and needed to be independent. And I didn't feel like working for someone else gave me that. My future would still rely on someone else. I was washing cars when I was 14, 15 to make cash. I always needed to have that feeling that I could take care of myself and no one was going to take it away from me. Goodness. Sam, what a uh, what a fierce <laughs> energy you have got there to absolutely own it and to be the master of your own destiny, which is a huge purpose statement for me. I, I have loads of purpose statements, Sam. You'll you'll get to know through the course of this podcast. Being the master of your own destinies is certainly one of those. I cannot tell you how much that resonates with me. But it does strike me, you know, as kids, our lives happen to just be in the hands of our guardians. We're we're so happily carefree. But yet as a child, as a teenager, you had this steadfast notion of, nope, I've got to be in control and I've got to take care of myself. There's this very resounding feeling that I get that, you know, no one was going to do it for you. You had to get it done for yourself. Talk me through your mindset at that age. 
Um, yeah, I mean, so my mum was a dysfunctional alcoholic. And so the normal things that you would experience as a child in terms of that sort of safety and security that we all want to give our kids. And as a parent now, I sort of look back on my own childhood and, and appreciate how dysfunctional it probably was as a result of that. But she wasn't able to take care of me in that way. So I was pretty much left to my own devices a, a lot of the time. And, you know, we lived in a nice house because my parents were quite well off financially, but the sort of trappings of security that you would normally expect just weren't there. And I think that that stuck with me. I realised I had to take care of myself. And as a, as a kid, you probably aren't as capable of doing that as, you know, as an adult would be. And so I spent a lot of time creating my own sort of security and, and ways of, of dealing with things. And I think this idea of being completely independent was definitely one of them. Mm. You know, Sam, I can see so many parallels there between that uneasy, unstable life that you had and your business now, which is in risk management, aka insurance. You know, you talked about that lack of security and the musing that I seem to have around this as well. Insurance gives you security. It gives you peace of mind, holds your blind side. And I don't know if you ever looked at it as that, but it struck me as almost this poetic full circle moment of growth and healing and taking a solution of wanting certainty and security into your own hands. Because to me, that is what insurance really does for us. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I do resonate strongly with the principle of insurance that a group of people can come together and all put in so that if one of them's in difficulty, they can step in and support them. And I think, you know, I don't know if you've read Sapiens, but it's one of my favourite books. And this idea that we are tribal as human beings and, and that we, we do operate best in a group and supporting each other. That, for me, is what insurance at its very heart should be. It doesn't always translate that way. And I think as a young person going into business and going into the insurance sector, I saw areas where that wasn't true. The principle of it wasn't really translating out into what we would want from insurance. And that was something that I really wanted to change from the get-go. But I think from a personal viewpoint, any business would have given me what I wanted, which was the ability to be financially independent. And for me, it's a strange one, because obviously, you only understand your own mindset in life. And, you know, I talk to friends that consider having your own business to be something that would leave you very insecure. And it isn't security and working for somebody else is a massive amount of security. And I see it the exact opposite way, because in working for somebody else, you are completely dependent on whoever's running that business to make sure that things work out and you do your job and you're, you're putting in, but you don't have that level of control. So I think, you know, the security I was looking for in setting up my own business stands independently, but the ideology of insurance was certainly very appealing. Mm. And I love that you got the ideology of insurance because, of course, you've made an incredible company out of it and you brought Stellar Insurance to Australia. You founded a number of companies that we absolutely must hear about but there's this concept of insurance that I really would love to unpack with you. And it's, it's very relevant to my own personal experiences as well. You see, Sam, when I was in year 10, my, my darling father, who's you know fighting fit and doing great now, but he, but he had a heart attack. And I'll, I'll never forget the time that an uncle of mine said, 
to my mum, don't worry, it's going to be okay because I know he's got insurances. I'm sure he's got insurances. And it was the first time that I heard of insurances in this context. I know that it's a different kind of insurance because he was talking about, you know, personal cover. But I remember thinking, gee, I wonder what kind of insurance this is. But feeling this wonderful blanket of, oh, we're going to be okay. Our family is going to be okay. And at the same time, I thought, but I wonder why we've never heard about it. And lo and behold, you know, um, things came out of the wash. And of course, my dad didn't have the kind of insurance he needed to cover himself and, and cover our family. And I remember being so angered by that. Not angered that my father didn't have insurance, but angered that my uncle knew about this kind of insurance and didn't talk about it. The, the thing that really I think we must change and must challenge is why is it that in barbecues we talk about our investments, but we don't talk about our insurances? What do you think can be done around this so that women are having more open conversations about, hey, do you have insurance? Here's what I do. This is what you should do. Because the consequences of getting unstuck around this can be absolutely financially debilitating. Yeah, and I think a lot of that problem comes with the way that insurance is marketed and and put forward to women, you know, and that's one of the reasons we want to change that with Stella. It's considered a very boring product. You know, if you're at a party and you say you work in insurance, you're unlikely to get any follow up questions, you know, um, and people often <laughs> say to <laughs> people often say to me, you know, you don't seem like someone that would work in insurance. And I should imagine they, they say the same to you. And there's this impression that insurance people are middle-aged white guys that are very boring and talk about risk management. And the reality is that actually we do need to talk more about what insurance can do for people at really critical parts of their lives where they do need support, where they are in crisis. And I think if we spent more time making that emotional connection with customers, there would be a much greater interest in insurance. But we don't. We fail unilaterally because we talk about products and not about people. And even if you look at, you know, all the tech systems that that we use in the insurance sector, we tend to focus on the policies that people have rather than the individual. And the problem with that is, to your point, your father may well have had some insurances, but not others. And, you know, you'll find that people, you know, they have house insurance, but they don't have life insurance. And of course, when you have children, you want to protect your kids more than, I mean, that's like the biggest driver that you have. And you are obviously that sole protection for them. So the first thing that really you'd think anybody would would get from an insurance policy viewpoint would be life insurance or income protection. And actually they don't because we've got such a boxed thinking when it comes to these things that I buy this thing and then I put this product on and it's a bit of a grudge purchase and I don't really think about it. Whereas really what we're talking about is somebody's life and all of the things that they love and feel connected to and how can we provide that security to them so that, you know, whatever happens in life, they've, they've got a bit of a safety net. Mm. And it is about that security and, and that safety net. And I, I loved how you described that. It's, you know, I, I actually just wrote it down because I had this really powerful visual in my mind. It's about people over policy. It, it should be about that. And if we speak to people by and large, but especially women, women want to not just be financially literate, they want to be financially empowered, they want to be financially independent. And it's almost about making sure that they've got these building blocks, they've got insurance as a building block in order to get there. 
Insurance is no doubt, and the financial services industry in itself is incredibly male-dominated. And Sam, from everything that I get from you, there is so much gusto in everything that you do. It's almost as if, if you think I can't do it, just watch me and I'll prove it to you that I can. But very much only if that's interesting, rather, to you. How did you go about rising through the challenges of moving through a male-dominated industry? I mean, I always say I think it was easier for me because I was doing my own thing. I'm not convinced I would have survived in corporate financial services as a member of staff. In fact, I'm pretty confident I wouldn't have lasted five minutes in that environment because, you know, there's a lot of politics um, and there's a lot of positioning that I see women have to do in order to be able to make it through the ranks. And I didn't have any of that because it was my own thing. So, you know, I do think in that sense, I probably found it easier. But in terms of doing business with men, I, you know, I've got some really phenomenal male supporters that I've had over the years that I would consider to be great friends um, who love the fact that I'm a pain in the arse and I'm noisy and I will kind of strive forward. And I think you, Cindy Gallup said something to me when I was chatting to her about being your own filter. And I said, Cindy, you don't seem even remotely filtered. And she said, that's exactly the point, Samantha. And I don't mean it that way. I mean that if you're very clear about who you are and what you want and what you stand for, then the people that don't like that will give you a wide berth. And I thought that was absolutely fabulous because it's extremely true that I am so obviously who I am and what I'm about that I will only pull into my sphere people that actually like that and engage with that and that's that's absolutely fine because the people that don't like my particular style of doing business or the strong sort of feminist agenda will just stay clear of me and I won't waste time with them whereas you know there are plenty of men that are very supportive of women and you know like that energy and there's there's plenty of women Um, And there's women that probably find me a bit much and a bit difficult and they will equally avoid me. But so we we create our own tribe that we can then drive forward with without the distractions of of having the wrong people in your group. Mm. And the wonderful thing about simply owning who you are is you end up becoming one of those people that um, that others will say, oh, yeah, but Sam can get away with that because Sam's just Sam. And and effectively what you're doing is you're just being you. You've given yourself permission to fill your own shoes exactly how you please and to be you. And so therefore you get away with exactly what it is that you want to get away with rather than having to, to play small, to you know play out to the excuses of others. It feels like a very well-expressed way to live life. If we could just take a step back, again, just going back to your early story, Even in your early 20s, Sam, it seems that you were faced with a series of really challenging events that happened before you started your business. It feels as though there's almost this sense of rising from the ashes, you know, this this real sort of phoenix moment for you that that happened from a, a number of experiences. Can you take us through some of those challenges that ultimately led you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I I don't think I'm special in this regard either. I think, you know, as we always say about being kind, everybody has got their stuff that they go through. I mean, you referenced earlier what must have been an incredibly challenging situation for an independent woman if you've 
you know, to go through an arranged marriage to kind of have to move into a different territory and that I've got friends that have been through that process and unbelievably isolating. So I I don't think what I went through is is unique or special. I just think it was a catalyst for me to make some changes and I'm always looking for catalysts. I you know, still am now. I, you know, there's we're we're all a work in progress and I try very hard to find that inflection point where you go, okay, well, what's not working for me? What's the thing that I should really concentrate on and and change now? And I think in my 20s, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't working for me, which, you know, I give myself permission on because I'd sort of come through a difficult childhood, the situation with my mom. And then I ended up breaking my leg on a night out with some male friends where I got into a water fight at three o'clock in the morning, which clearly wasn't a good idea chased one of them into the kitchen with a pan of water managed to get the water on him but also drenched the floor which I slid dislocated my ankle broke my leg realizing that I was incapable of taking care of myself which based on our conversation earlier you can imagine how much I did not enjoy that um it was non-weight bearing so I couldn't carry anything or do anything And my boyfriend at the time, lovely guy, but completely useless and obviously used to me taking care of everything. So wasn't capable of taking care of me. So I ended up having to move in with my sister. And during that period of time, realized that probably I shouldn't be in this relationship with this guy. Bearing in mind that I'm married to a woman now that, you know, that that was more than just his fault. (laughs) Um, um, Realized that the relationship wasn't going anywhere. So I ended this relationship And then a couple of months after that, my mum died. And, you know, I think you do have those moments in life where all the things that you thought to be true. So, you know, I went through a period of my independence was taken away from me, which I valued so highly. This relationship that had been one of the few secure bases for me, I'd decided to move out of. And then my mum died. And at that point, if you don't kind of take a step back and say, is this now a time to do something differently? Then you probably will end up in a worse and worse situation. And I think that's what does happen with people sometimes. They just don't know how to get off the hamster wheel on whatever behaviour isn't really working for them or lifestyle choices or, or, or whatever. Whereas I have found many times in life that when things get really, really difficult, that's the time to go I want to shift gears, do something different, make a big change, because that sometimes is the only way that you're going to get out of that dynamic. Thank you for for sharing that. I think that was so deep in terms of that reflection, you giving yourself permission to, to move out of that dynamic. And clearly it worked for you, Sam, because you are in a very different relationship now. And, and of course, you've got two children. I have, yes, two fabulous little monkeys. Sam, I'd like to sort of look at your day-to-day world or your or your weekly world. Of course, this podcast is Moments That Make Us by Women's Agenda. And I'm curious, for a woman who runs so many successful companies, what are some of the most important things in your weekly agenda that really help you get things done? So, uh, again, I'm a, a big fan of concentrating on how you feel and getting yourself into the best possible position in that regard. So, I love to exercise. I fortunately have never had to be on antidepressants in my life. I I know a lot of people that have. Uh, For me, exercising every day is my absolute antidepressant. And if I don't train for a couple of days, I definitely feel it. So I run my life through my calendar, but I make sure that I've always got time 
to exercise and I like to do it first thing in the morning makes me feel great I also like to make sure that I spend time with my family because otherwise things don't work for me either and so I, I track my my week out according to the things that are important to me my health and well-being is important to me my family is important to me and my business is important to me and, and from a business viewpoint, again, going back to setting a company up, I don't really change that strategy on a day-to-day basis. On any given month, there will be probably three or four really big things that I know are going to shift the dial from a business viewpoint. And I organize my calendar accordingly. So if there's a meeting that will help support one of those big things, it takes priority. And I do have that sort of mentally positioned in in my mind and what you find is that the little things that don't really matter will often fall off the radar I don't try and do everything people say to me oh you must be so busy with all these businesses and you must have no time to yourself and it and that's not true at all and I wouldn't let it be like that because that would make me really miserable and you know it would be no way to live so for me I find that sort of having a really clear idea as to what's important to you both on a personal level and a business level and then organising your calendar accordingly is absolutely critical. And I think that probably a lot of women do suffer with being people pleasers and, you know, wanting to not say no and to do the things that other people are asking of them. And they probably find that their their week is taken up with activities that aren't necessarily serving them and their agendas are being directed by other people. And I'm, I'm really conscious of that. And that's not to say I don't consider myself to be a selfish person. As I said before, if, if, if somebody needs help, I will also try and find time for that in the week as well and, and, and put that in. But what I won't do is take on a load of tasks that aren't my tasks. So I don't, I don't go in meetings I don't need to be in, for sure. It sounds like you've got some incredible people in your team, but it also sounds like you've mastered this thing called delegating. And um, <laughs> I was getting that sense beforehand when you said, you know, you've, you came up with the macro plan, you're a really big picture kind of woman, and then you bring in a team to make things happen. And it is something that a lot of people, but especially women, really struggle with. And it's usually mixed up with this sense of perfectionism as well and the superhero syndrome of I have to get everything done, maybe no one else is going to do it as good as me, um, or that I feel like I have to prove and so therefore I've got to consistently do it. And so it's this you know, this nexus of constantly proving yourself rather than improving yourself. Um, and all of that culminates into this massive inability to delegate and therefore have this beautiful synergy that I'm feeling around, you know, having that balance of, you know, your health and well-being and how you're feeling and the three to four important things in your calendar. So Sam, how do you delegate? (laughs) Well, I think it helps that I'm very aware of the fact that there's lots of stuff that I'm not particularly good at. So understanding that those few items that you're really good at and making sure that that's the thing that you focus on and the stuff that you're not having other people to support really helps. But I think the other thing for me is I don't pass something over to somebody and then micromanage them and try and get them to do it exactly the way that I would wish it to be done. That's that's not how I roll. So, you know, you have to trust people, but you also have to accept that there's a thousand different ways that something can come into life and form that will all work. And in doing so, in letting go, 
then the magic happens because other people can then really own something and create something that um, really works for them. And that for me is fabulous because it's nice to step back, even from something that you kind of birthed and had that sort of vision of and watch somebody else get as passionate about it and really kind of own that experience. And, you know, that brings me a lot of joy. I just recently replaced myself as CEO in Freedom in the UK with a psychologist And he's a corporate psychologist that's been working with me for a couple of years and working with the team. And they are doing so well, so well. And it's a real joy for me to take that even further step back and watch somebody else kind of really take it to the next level. And, you know, one of the things that I definitely suffered with, even even with the big picture thinking, was jumping in too soon and, you know, a little bit of that hero complex you know, something goes wrong, don't worry, I'll sort it out. I've got the solution. I'll get the deal over the line. I'll do X, Y, Z. And it's really disempowering for the people that you have working with you to do that. And he's come in and he came in in January and he has not made a single decision. He has facilitated the team making decisions. And the result in terms of the productivity, this is the most successful the business has ever been because you've got a group of people that all trust each other, that are all moving as a team and they're all empowered and making decisions and and moving things forward. So I think the psychology of groups and how you can encourage that, that type of environment is really important. Yeah, there's that nexus again as well, isn't it, on focusing on improving rather than proving because you brought this new person in and you would think that he might feel the pressure of, I've got to swoop in, I've got to make the decisions, I've got to, you know, show what a great hire I am. And in fact, when you said that he hasn't made a single decision, I almost had this reaction of, oh, what in the world has he been doing all this time, you know? (laughs) And, and, And then you finished your sentence and I went, Oh, I get it now. That is incredibly powerful. And I think that is a message we absolutely have to broadcast because I, you know, the the kind of results that you've gotten, um, you know, shows what can happen in collaborative teams that co-create their success. Yeah, no, it's, and, you know, I've said to him, we're going to write a book at the end of it because, you know, if it carries on the way it's going, it's just unbelievable. And he, we had a chat, um, first month he was in and he said this is really hard he said I've been training CEOs um, for years and trying to get them to do this and he said I get what you did to me like you've said put your money where your mouth is like show me and he said I didn't realize how hard it would be doing that holding back not jumping in not playing the role of CEO And, and we have this contract with each other which is without fear or favor And it basically means, you know, we have the right to call each other out if something seems off. And his main thing with me was, you have to tell me if I start playing the part of CEO, if I put that coat on and start to pretend to be that person. And the balance between them is is really phenomenal and it's lovely to watch. But it's very clear to me that you've created that culture. You know, there's a lot of different reasons why people become successful and there's a lot of research around uh, what it takes to create innovative teams, innovative culture, and it's about building a team that has psychological safety to take risks, to make mistakes, and to be able to say to their leader, um, 
wow, this is really hard. As this person has just said, she that is a lot of psychological safety there for, for him to be able to say that to you, which in turn has created this culture of productivity, of empowering others. So it seems to me that, you know, that culture is always built from the top, but um, that's come from you, Sam. Well, you say that, but I've, I've never quite got it right. And so, the, and this is the beauty, I think, of growing and learning and business. I, yeah, I've had some really successful businesses. As, as I say, I've also had some, some really painful failures over the years. But I've never quite had the, the culture in the business that I wanted. And I, I've kept trying to, you know, you try something, you shift the axis, you see what happens. I really feel so good about this. But I think what I did before my own insecurities which were you know as the business got bigger and bigger it was I need sensible people to support me I need sort of proper corporate individuals to stand alongside me and I always used to hire great people but very corporate individuals that had this mentality of hierarchy and everything else and and then me and them it, it wasn't a great fit and then actually hiring somebody who is a psychologist and, and gets how to create psychologically safe environments made me realize that the most important thing in a leader is for them to be emotionally mature. It's nothing to do with the experience they've got or the technical skills they have. The most important thing is for them to be emotionally secure and respect other people's boundaries and their emotional contracts. And that for me, is what Andy has come in and done because that's, you know, that's his magic. That's his special skill. So I can't recommend it highly enough in terms of management structures and, and approaches. It's been a real eye opener for me. Look, I agree. You and Andy absolutely have to write a book because it's so against the grain. You know, if you're looking for a CEO, you go hire a CEO um, or, you know, you go hire, you know, traditionally you the, the CFOs end up becoming the CEOs, which is why it ends up being such a, you know, overall male-dominated industry because, you know, most men move into CFO roles and therefore CEO roles and so forth. I haven't heard of hiring a psychologist to run the CEO role and then to say to that CEO, hey, I'm going to call you up if you start to move and shake like a CEO. That really turns things on its head in a successful way as you and Andy have co-created for yourselves. So I think you're doing us all a disservice if you do not write that book together. So please do so. <laughs> we'll be watching out for it indeed. Sam, this podcast is called moments that make us and you've shared a number of moments that have made you I wonder if you could share just a couple more that have been that fork in the road moment that have really made you the woman that you are today you know I think the moments that make us and, and not to get too deep which I know I have a tendency to do but I mean for me I think the first moment you lose somebody is a really key moment that shapes you for me my granddad dying when I was eight and realizing that the world is not permanent and that people can be taken away from you. I think the first time you you suffer real failure, which, you know, I, I nearly lost the businesses on more than one occasion over the 20 odd years. And you, you know, you realize that all this that you've worked for could be taken away from you. And what does that mean? And who, who are you in that circumstance? If you lose everything, you go from being this successful entrepreneur to what? And what does that mean for you emotionally? And then I think... For me, when you realise how bad the world can be, the darkest moments, and I've had a couple of occasions in that respect when I was 14, one of my friend's dads 
murdered his wife. And that was a really shocking moment for me. And and recently, I, I lost a friend in a really horrific set of circumstances. I think in those times, you have to say that if the worst is possible, then the best is also possible. But the only way you're going to get to the best is to create it for yourself. And I think that for me is the moments that have shaped me is that realization in clarity that if that happens, then I I can push out the other side. The only way out is through. And there it is again, Sam, that message, that resonance of you create your own destiny. That's uh, incredibly powerful. Sam, I like to end this podcast on moments that made me go, hmm, and and just having a think about some insights that you've given me to to take away. And there are a couple of things that I I take away from this conversation, and that is to to deal with your team and to speak with them without fear or favour, to look at, you know, your business as people over policy. I think that is is so impactful. And to create your own destiny and and to do so with gusto, to own who you are, to be unapologetic about it and to structure your agenda with an importance of your own health and your well-being and to only do three to four things at once. I, I think that was a, a very practical thing that made me go, hmm. So Sam White, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time talking to you. Thank you so much for bringing Stellar Insurance to Australia and for supporting and sponsoring this podcast by Women's Agenda. It's been phenomenal to speak with you. Thanks ever so much for having me on. It's been a real joy.